Thank you, Jen. We uh, are now in the fourth in our series in the book of Joshua and in the letters of Peter. Uh, we are going to be in Joshua chapter 4. We'll uh, look at that entirety of that chapter, and then we'll be jumping over to 1 Peter at the beginning of chapter 2. So Joshua 4, and then 1 Peter chapter 2. So if you are able, if you uh, can stand with me for the reading of God's Word, this is quite lengthy, so I will understand if you need to sit down in the middle. It's all right. When the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Choose twelve men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up twelve stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priests are standing, and carry them over with you and put them down at the place where you stay tonight. So Joshua called together the twelve men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and said to them, Go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites to serve as a sign among you. In the, near, in the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord when it crossed the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. So the Israelites did as Joshua commanded. They took twelve stones from the middle of the Jordan, according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites, as the Lord had told Joshua, and they carried them over with them to their camp, where they put them down. Joshua set up the twelve stones that had been in the middle of the Jordan at the spot where the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant had stood, and they are there to this day. Now the priests who carried the Ark remained standing in the middle of the Jordan until everything the Lord had commanded Joshua was done by the people. Just as Moses had directed Joshua, the people hurried over, and as soon as all of them had crossed, the ark of the Lord and the priests came to the other side while the people watched. The men of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh crossed over, ready for battle in front of the Israelites, as Moses had directed. About 40,000 armed for battle crossed over before the Lord to the plains of Jericho for war. That day the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel, And they stood in awe of him all the days of his life, just as they had stood in awe of Moses. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Command the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant law to come out of of the Jordan. So Joshua commanded the priests, Come up out of the Jordan. And the priests came up out of the river, carrying the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. No sooner had they set their feet on the dry ground than the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and ran at flood stage as before. On the tenth day of the first month, the people went up from the Jordan and camped at Gilgal on the eastern border of Jericho. And Joshua set up at Gilgal the twelve stones they had taken out of the Jordan. He said to the Israelites, In the future when your descendants ask their parents, What do these stones mean? Tell them. Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. The Lord your God did to the Jordan what he had done to the Red Sea when he dried it up before us until we had crossed over. He did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might always fear the Lord your God. And now over to 1 Peter, beginning at chapter 2, verse 1. Peter writes, Therefore rid yourselves of all malice 
and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in the scripture it says, I See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now, to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone that causes people to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Let's pray together. Loving God, as we spend time in your word this morning, we pray that you, through your Holy Spirit, might be at work in our hearts and in our minds, just as you are, you are and were present in the writing of this word. Lord, we pray that you will write the truths on our hearts today. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, I, uh, I recently uh, heard about a man named John who had a terrible memory. One day, uh, John ran into a friend whom he had not seen in a long time. He greeted him and said, Bill, do you remember what a bad memory I had? Bill answered, yes, I certainly do. Well, it's not bad anymore. I went to a seminar that taught us how to remember things. It was a great seminar, and now I have a wonderful memory. Bill answered, well, that's great. What was the name of the seminar? Well, John said, wait a minute. My wife went with me. I'll, I'll ask her. He turned and saw his wife nearby. Then he turned back to Bill and said, hey, you know, what's the name of that flower with a long stem and thorns and a red bloom? Do you mean a rose? Bill answered. Yeah, yeah, thanks, John said. Hey, Rose, what's the name of that seminar we attended? You know, the message today in Joshua and in 1 Peter says much to us about memory and what we're to do with our memory. And as we come to this chapter 4 of the book of Joshua, it's where God will confirm his presence and call on Joshua as the leader and prophet of God's people. With the miraculous sign of the parting of the Jordan, just as God had parted the Red Sea under the leadership of Moses. And it's also going to be the sign that God will be present with his people in power, as we see here. That he will be the one, ultimately, that leads them and empowers them to take the promised land which he is giving them. And in the midst of the event, he also calls upon them to set up this memorial, the word memorial in the Hebrew, zikhayaron, is a rich word. It includes not only the idea of calling to mind, as we often think of remember, and how often we use it, but it's really more than that. It is the idea of remembering with concern or loving reflection. 
See, here in Joshua, it calls upon God's people to consider both now and in the future generations what God has done for them in the past in loving reflection of who God is. His mercy, His grace, and His loving kindness. His faithfulness to them. He calls upon them to set up memorials not as distant historic concepts, but so that, and this is a Point one on your outline for those of you who like to keep notes. This is in the middle of your bulletin. Memorials are for the purpose of living a life that is consistently bringing to their minds and to their emotions that which is important, true, and right. Especially when it comes to who God is and what he has done. I often look at my own life and the memorials I build up, the things I hold on to, the memories that I treasure, and I find that those memorials aren't often what God would have me keep. See, fallen human nature creates memorials just as much as our godly nature does. Our fallen human nature usually builds memorials either physical or in our own hearts, to the hurts, the losses, the failures, and the sins of others. Those memorials create bitterness, anger, unforgiveness, gossip, and often a critical heart and a critical spirit. On a a personal level, this has been something which, which I've struggled over the years I've struggled with the memorials I keep to those who have betrayed me, betrayed me, abused me, and mistreated me and my family. And the call for us as believers is to continuously work to tear down those memorials and build up memorials to the faithfulness, power, and love of God. I've been working on this even just this last week. This is difficult. It's very difficult for me. And I feel sometimes that I tear down those memorials to betrayal, that I'll put myself in the same position again to become vulnerable. And then I'm reminded that my faithful, loving Lord was also betrayed a whole lot worse than I. And He was betrayed with the full knowledge from the eternity past that it would happen. And knowing that full well, he still placed himself in that position. See, we build up these negative memorials to protect ourselves. But all they do is continuously damage our witness to the Gospel. So let me uh, repeat that because I kind of feel it's an important point. And it's point two on your outline. We build up negative memorials to protect ourselves but they only serve to continuously damage our witness to the gospel. One Sunday morning, the pastor noticed little Alex staring up at the large plaque that hung in the foyer of the church. The plaque was covered with names, and small American flags were mounted on either side of it. The seven-year-old had been staring at the plaque for some time, so the pastor walked up, stood beside him and said quietly, Good morning, Alex. 
Good morning, Pastor, replied uh, this young man, still focused on the plaque. Pastor Phillips, what is this? Alex asked. Well, son, it's a, it's a memorial to all the men and women who have died in the service. Soberly, they stood together, staring at the large plaque. Little Alex's voice was barely audible when he finally managed to ask, Which one? The 9 o'clock or 11 o'clock service? (laughs) You see, memorials that prompt us to call to mind with concern or loving affection is really vital in our life. A memorial is like a, a mnemonic device which helps us make connections in our own minds so that we can bring back to mind those things that are vital, that are important. So uh, let's turn to Peter now and see if he can inform us any further on this. See, Peter in this passage brings together the ideas of holiness and purity as we love and honor one another being built on the foundation of God's holy, inerrant word. And then he follows this up by telling us that which is being built is a spiritual house. A spiritual house. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house, he says. We are living stones connected to the living stone, And we must unify ourselves so that we may become a spiritual house instead of simply being a group of social outcasts, of which I'm the chief. We are to be a spiritual house that is the temple of God. We find our cohesive identity together in our spiritual relationship to the living stone. We are spiritually connected to the living stone who is the foundation of the spiritual house. And he says, as you come to him, the living stone rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him, we will make that connection. We're to come to him yearning for pure spiritual milk, which ultimately comes from Jesus himself and his word. Jesus was rejected by humans, but chosen by God. So too, if we are living our identity in Christ as individuals and together, we will experience rejection in this world. We come together as the spiritual house that God is building to do what? To remember. To remember the sacrifices of the cornerstone of our house to remember the purpose we are here in this world and the call he's given us to make and be disciples, to remember Christ's vision for us, to love people to real life in Jesus, to remember the real enemy, the sin that dwells within and the powers of Satan that are at work in this world. We come together to worship, and as we worship, we remember God's empowering presence in our lives and in our lives together his miraculous work, his answered prayers, his constant faithfulness. See, Peter's metaphors are a mnemonic tool that he uses to remind us about who we are in Christ. His metaphor about a spiritual house and living stones are helpful to us 
It reminds us that just as we are strangers in this world, we are strangers together with our brothers and sisters in Christ, especially those sitting around us today. We are strangers together, called together to love deeply, built upon the foundation of our cornerstone. He also uses the metaphor of a baby who craves milk. So too we're to crave spiritual milk, crave God's Word, crave a deeper relationship with Jesus through His Word. Encouragement and the love of a spiritual house. Crave the defeat of the sin that so entangles our lives. Do you crave those things? I don't know about you, but I, if I have to miss worship or miss fellowshipping with, our, with brothers and sisters in Christ around God's Word, or miss opportunities to talk to unbelievers about the stone that was rejected, I sense something missing deep down. Why? Because we crave these things. Do you crave them? The other uh, Hebrew idea that is embedded in the term memorial, and this is point three on your outline. In Hebrew, remembering is to call to mind in such a way that we act in a way that corresponds with what is being remembered. See, you show that you truly remember God's love in, Ju- in Jesus Christ. You show that you truly remember the empowering presence of our living God. You show that you remember that you're a spiritual stone when you live it out. Not just talk about it in church. To truly remember is to live and act as one who remembers. See, God might give us a financial victory. And the next time we get into financial trouble, what do we do? We worry. God might give us a victory over a temptation or a sin, and then when that temptation comes around again, see, you might have been so filled with Christ's love that you shared generously with others about Jesus, but somehow that has faded. We have short memories We don't live like the living God is in our midst. We don't live like people who have had past experiences of His grace, His mercy, His victory, His love, His faithfulness, His rest, His peace. We are constantly forgetting, and we have not built up the memorials that help us to come back to the truth when troubles and temptations come. We need to put up some memorial stones in our lives. We need to remember the victories of our God. We need to remember the amazing blessings that we have in Jesus Christ. We need to remember God's call to love one another deeply. deeply. We need to remember. I want you to consider with me, what kind of memorials do you have in your life? There are memories of places, places that trigger memories just as memorial stones and Gilgal did. There are some significant places in your life that might bring back memories. You know, in, the, in my personal possessions, there are memorials to God's faithfulness to our family. I have one especially that is, uh, 
is a memorial to God's faithfulness during my time in seminary when we had very little. Sometimes we didn't even know from where our provisions would come the next day. Yet God was always faithful. There are memorials to our wedding and how the Lord provided someone such as I, a faithful and loving wife, for which I am completely unworthy. What are the memorials to God's faithfulness in your life? When you enter this sanctuary, does it call to mind the faithfulness of God to have taken Parkway through so many trials, to have brought you here to this place, this vital new Great Commission vision that He in His providence has been at work in your midst all along, that He is always faithful, even in the midst of our own failings. Do you remember His faithfulness to you? See, God knows how we think. And that's the reason that he instructs Joshua to build a memorial so that each time the Israelites saw it, they would be reminded that they hadn't crossed the Jordan on their own ability, their own strength, but because of God's work. To understand what God was trying to teach his children, Israel, to spend some time thinking through your memorial stones. Let them draw you closer to God and remind you of his faithfulness. See, the memorial stones were also to serve as a basis of sharing the faith with their children. Do you see that in this passage? In two places in this chapter, parents are reminded of their responsibility for communicating God's word and his calling on their children from generation to generation. We see this first in verses 6 to 7 where the Lord tells Joshua to tell the people that this may be a sign among you when your children ask in time to come, saying, what do these stones mean to you? And we see it again in verses 21 to 23. Then he spoke to the children of Israel, saying, when your children ask their fathers in time to come, saying, what are these stones? Then you shall let your children know, saying, Israel crossed over this Jordan on dry land. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan before you until you had crossed over as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea when he dried up before us until we had crossed over. And so this is uh, point four on your outline. Memorials are also there to provoke questioning, especially from future generations. See, our faith is really never more than in one generation away from extinction. Don't we see this on display very clearly in the following book, the book of Judges? Just think about our own country. We've drifted away from our Christian foundation in just the last couple of generations, very, very far away. See, we need to tell each generation about the eternal life that God offers to anyone who believes and the great things that God has done for us and the rest of his people. Physical memorials prompt those discussions. See, the memorial stones were also to be a signpost to a lost world. Do you see that there in verse 24? All that the peoples of the earth may know the hand of the Lord, that it is mighty that you may fear the Lord your God forever. And it was also to be a time of renewal 
and of personal commitment. You see this in verse 8. It's also a time of a new beginning, and we see this in verses 19 through 20. Leaving the edge of the river, the Israelites went to a place called Gilgal to make their camp. Gilgal was on the eastern border of Jericho. You know, the name, and we'll be talking about this a little more later, but the name Gilgal means the reproach has been rolled away. Forty years of spiritual defeat and failure have been rolled away. The past is behind them, and God has been faithful to his promise. It was the dawn of a great new beginning in a new land. The days of refusal to respond to God and to Moses were gone. Complaining was ended. Hopeless wandering in the wilderness was to be behind them. They were now a people with a powerful new sense of purpose. And so point five on your outline is this. We should be able to look back and see those monumental occasions in which God has changed our directions and has given us new hope and a new sense of purpose. Isn't that what we have here at Parkway? See, maybe we too can remember a memorial to a time when we acted in bold faith, when we pursued God's prompting and leading in our life to abandon ourselves, to abandon ourselves to God and to step out into the unknown, to step into the waters of the flooding river in faith that God will take us across. So why should we build altars of remembrance, memorials? Well, let me give you another answer. Because the present can be foggy. And uh, hindsight is often 2020. And this is the next point on your outline. When we can't sense God's presence or leading in our present circumstances, it is a huge boost to our faith to be able to see him in our past circumstances. And because the present can be confusing and building altars of remembrance of what God has done for us and taught us in the past will help us in our present to make wise choices. We humans cannot see the forest because of the trees. So we need to rely on an infinitely wise God. There's another reason. Because it's a great way to tell others about Jesus. Think about it. May I share with you what God has been teaching me lately as I have suffered? May I share with you a time in my life when God carried me through a terrible storm? See, it becomes a bridge to lead people into God's Word and the message of salvation that is found only in Jesus Christ. You see, those stones were a visible reminder of the faithfulness of God. I'm thinking that as people arrived at Gilgal, they were... uh, probably amused by the stones, and began to ask questions. Questions about the purpose and significance of those stones. And the message in that day was very clear. There is no God like the God of Israel. He is the only true God, and He is worthy of total worship and surrender. And so in the same way, we need to be reminded that God's purpose for us today is still the same. It's still our calling to make Him known to the ends of the earth. 
our chief calling from the Lord to be witnesses to a lost and dying world. We were reminded here in 1 Peter 2.5, you also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Think of that for a moment. See, in the Old Testament, God used literal physical stones to give a message of his greatness and his faithfulness. But today in Christ, the Bible says we are living stones. But our purpose in Christ, our purpose is still the same, isn't it? Both our words and our actions should be clearly proclaiming the greatness and faithfulness of God. In fact, listen to 1 Peter 2.9. It says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of the darkness into his marvelous light. Proclaim. To tell it out. To proclaim abroad. The Greek means to advertise his praises. See, the ones who are God's special possessions, they are the ones who are to advertise and proclaim the praises of God. If we aren't making known the good things that God has done for us, then we're failing to fulfill God's calling and the purpose for our lives. We must tell all that we know about the faithfulness and greatness of God We must live our lives in such a way that people see something different from the west of the world, like those stones that were out of place on the riverbank, so that then they will ask us, what do those stones mean? Or what does that change in your life mean? They will give us the opportunity to share about our great and faithful Lord. Let's pray together. Gracious and loving God, you are truly faithful. Though maybe we don't always remember when troubles and the storms of life come, it is easy to forget to fall back into the traps of forgetting that you are present, present in power in our lives and the life of this church, that you are at work here. And so, Lord, we pray that you will give us better memories, that you will guide us to build better memorials, memorials to your faithfulness in our life. Those times when you have brought us through, when we thought there was no way out, when you provided. And Lord, we pray that you will also teach us and guide us in tearing down the memorials that cause us bitterness and anger and pain toward others we might live with the joy and hope that only you can provide. You, the living stone. 
Thank you, Lord, for your amazing faithfulness in our life. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.